Hi everyone, welcome back to Soft Edges. I am Moïse Rukial and with my dear co-host Lucy Gerard, we're happy to have you with us on our 11th episode. <gasps> we're nearing the end of our journey through pleasure activism, The Politics of Feeling Good by Adrienne Marie Brown. <laughs> and only one more episode left after this one. Lucy, doesn't that make your sad life even sadder? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mice. Yes, it does. <laughs> it is so heartbreaking, but at the same time, I feel so proud of us. Honestly, same. we did it. We did it. We did it. We went all the way into this wonderful book. I mean, it's this book has been this entire book has been so good to me on so many levels. Yeah, I think what I got from out of this will be uplifting in so many situations for the rest of my life for sure oh yeah this book has marked me for life absolutely and i still can't believe that we started in november december i think recording mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. now finally as as we're recording right now it's end of march yeah and we're finally reaching the end of this book and we're finally reaching the end of season one Almost. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it feels like such a journey and yet so quick, right? Yeah, it went really <laughs> fast, by the way. Went yeah. really fast. But I loved it. Loved going so deep into this text, seriously. 12 episodes we spared for this book. It was really worth it. Yeah. And yeah, it proved to be really worthy of a decision as well, right? This is oh, the only sure. way to talk about this book for me. <laughs> That's what this book deserves, mm -hmm, honestly. Mm -hmm. An in-depth look and analysis and conversations. 100%. <laughs> and I'm very excited for this week's episode as well. Shall we get right into it? Yes, let's do it. All right, we begin with the chapter titled Pleasure Over 60. It's a conversation with Idelis Malave and Alta Star. Alta is a gifted poet and called a disciple of joy by one of her teachers in grad school and Idelis is an incredible visual artist and a self-described joyful old bitch committed to being fully herself as well as the co-host of the podcast called Two Old Bitches. And this conversation revolves around the theme of pleasure as the age. So... They're really sweet. Out of Adrian's offerings on her imaginary table during that sunset, Ide goes for the good red wine and Alta for the sunset, their faces, their eyes, the nature, the trees. I mean, even that imaginary setting they created at the beginning of this interview, this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted to be there. Yes, same. <laughs> and Adrian Marie Brown asks and they answer. So her first question was, what has been the greatest pleasure of your life? For Ide, it's been loving, seeing and transcendent, deep connection and warmth and the delights of just absorbing something or someone with your eyes. For Alta, it's been feeling her livingness and the sweet, pure livingness of others, but also art, books, poems, woods, laughter with friends, slow groove sex or a giggling quickie, movies, plays, a perfectly iced and lemon-tinged glass of seltzer, helping another feel and celebrate this free life, knowing someone for years and still being surprised by them, writing for the freedom of it, and on and on and on. I loved all of this so much, and I'm really curious to hear your greatest pleasure of your life, Lucy. Oh, that's such a nice question. Yeah. Uh, it's a difficult one, though. Mm -hmm. I would say the greatest pleasure... Mm, I love laughing. 
that's for sure. Mm-hmm. That's one of my greatest pleasures. I love discovering new things in unexpected places. Um, when it comes to people, particularly um, random meetings, encounters, I guess. Oh, uh, when, yeah. for example, I wouldn't expect to meet someone super interesting if I go on a walk on my own or if I go to a cafe on my own or wherever, really. And I love this kind of instant connection that can happen in the world. Um, yeah, I love those those kind of things. And wow, I yeah. really appreciate also something really simple is feeling like the sun on my face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, feeling the warmth of the sun vibrating through my entire body that's one but there's so many it's so hard to yes. choose and it would it would take so fucking long to to, <laughs> to come up with the list of all of the pleasures Ooh, of life so i'm gonna stop it. here i love the ones that you counted <laughs> laughter and wonderful um spontaneous connections with strangers right just encounters yeah. and sun on your face and on your body amazing amazing mm-hmm. i love yeah. it wow what about you i'm curious For me, also laughter with family and friends, for sure, Mm -hmm. for sure, for sure. And also really deep and satisfying intimacy with my partner or with friends. And another one is also going out at night to drink and dance. That's that uh, I feel alive, seriously. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something I really miss these days oh me too twerking is definitely a pleasure of my life (laughs) for sure watching you twerk is my greatest pleasure (laughs) of life period (laughs) thank you (laughs) and then brown then asks about idelice's podcast with joanne sandler called two old bitches which is a, a podcast that has awesome conversations with women over 50 uh, and it's challenging preconceived notions about older women. Um, have you had a chance to take a look at this podcast, Two Old Bitches? Yes, I did, actually. I listened to an episode recently and I thought it was really, really cool. Um, yeah, I really liked the vibe of it. The It was a super interesting conversation. Unfortunately, I can't remember the the name of the guest that, uh, that they had on, but it was a, a filmmaker. And... Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I really liked their dynamic too, and it felt very enriching. It felt really comforting. So yeah, I really liked it. What about you? Incredible! I have to check it out as well. Still, oh, it's but, wonderful. Uh, yeah. I would, I would highly super recommend. Super curious. It's super nice. From at least the first episode that I listened to, I really, really can recommend it. I love it. And in that episode that you listened to, was the theme of age and pleasure with age? Was it also present there already? Yes, yes, uh, mm-hmm. it was. They talked about it with their guests. They asked a question actually um, focused around that topic, and it was really interesting to hear their answers and related also to their queerness and uh, their ethnicity Uh and uh, their place in the world so yeah really cool conversation i would highly recommend wow wow that's a conversation i would love to listen to yes for sure i will um write down the exact episode and we can share it in the description notes perfect thank you i already loved ide's definition of like how aging for her is and not a not in terms of a loss but it's about becoming and unfolding Mm mm-hmm And with the bonus of lots of experience and a heightened sense of freedom, it's a ripening instead of withering. 
I already loved this definition by Ide. Yes. It was really reassuring to me in a way as well, as I'm steadily approaching my 30s. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually curious to hear how it made you feel and if you actually experience any sort of anxiety about getting old. No, I don't actually. I'm excited about getting old. And I never really had anxiety about growing old and growing older, aging none of that really scared me ever. I always was excited to get to the next step in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm actually looking forward to to seeing what my 30s are going to bring me, what my 40s are going to bring me, and so on. Um, I've heard a lot of great things about the, yeah. these ages, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so that's something to look forward to. To me, Growing old is part of life and I think it's beautiful and I love having conversations with people who are older than me because it's not necessarily that um, I feel intimidated by them, but I love to hear about their life experience. I find it fascinating to not compare, but hear about how their life um, has been you know, going through the years and what they experienced and what they loved, what they didn't love. And it it helps me also kind of assess how my life is going and how I might feel about certain things in the future. And I like that. I like projecting myself into the future. Mm. So, yeah, that's how I feel about it. <laughs> that's amazing. I do that as well with friends who yeah. are older than me. Yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I, I, I find their experiences extremely valuable and it does prepare me to a certain extent. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I'm going to sound a bit dramatic, but recently this the reality of getting old feels much more real to me than it did before. Oh, really? Even though I'm, I'm, I'm just 28 as we're recording. And yeah, I'm not going to lie. Like, I do feel a certain anxiety about it, I must oh, say. Oh, that's interesting. So actually hearing you talk about it so comfortable comfortably actually kind of was relieving to me as well like the way you experienced it because I agree like even though I'm sure the 30s will be such a privilege to live of course and a delight to experience as well but I really hope that I will be adept as I go on you know Um, Mm -hmm. at times I feel like I've taken my 20s for granted on certain aspects most of it I really dedicated to things that I loved most of it I really used well I I I think so. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But there are many things that I had delayed. And honestly, I thought I would get them done during the last couple of years of my 20s. And cut to us now, the fucking pandemic is swallowing a good three years of it, (laughs) of of my late 20s. Thank you very much. I'm so pissed about that. Yeah, Yeah, it does suck because it does put a lot of uh, projects and perspectives on hold and that's really difficult to to accept. But at the same time, I think it's important to adapt as much as we can to Mm -hmm. the times that we're living right now, especially when it comes to those dreams and perspectives that are being broken in front of our eyes. As heartbreaking as it as it can be and as it is for a lot of people this is the life that we're living and we we can't really do anything about it. So I think instead of regretting what we couldn't do, it's much better to try to do something else and to transform the path that we're offered right now into something yes, positive. Yes, I agree fully. Also, what else to do, right? Yeah, exactly. That's a very positive way of uh, 
going through that, I think. But I do think getting older isn't easy for everyone, especially for women and queer people, I feel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And definitely not easy for gays, since gay culture is extremely ageist, you know, also. Yeah. And... I feel like we're gonna have to find or create our own communities in which we can comfortably exist with our aging bodies and enjoy all the beauty that aging brings with it. Absolutely. Together. Yeah, yeah. no, you're totally yeah. right. And also what was really attractive to me in Alta's input on Pleasure Over 60 was when she said, oh God, the drama, so little of that matters. <laughs> Ease, focus, clear purpose. End quote. And I absolutely love that. Drama has been too much, too long. I want to chill. I want, <laughs> the, I want the chill that older age brings to me. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I think it's it's also really nice to hear that you kind of manage to detach yourself from what we call drama uh, with age, that you get much more confident in who you are and what you like what you don't like and what's important to you or not and that you can confidently say yeah I don't care this is not my drama and I don't need this drama in my life and I don't need the the pain and the stress and the worry such is life let me just go forward I mm -hmm, love that mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> absolutely same I'm looking forward to that yeah I mean I really appreciated how this whole conversation revolved around how age is quite literally just a number when it comes to pleasure, but also how age can allow someone to experience life totally differently, as we've mentioned, and um, allow access to a different kind of confidence and enjoyment. I could feel their confident, anchored energy through their words, through the paper. And I just loved how Idelis also said, um, quote, our sense of aliveness doesn't dim with age. Death is the end, not being old, end quote. I absolutely loved her perspective and I, th I thought she was super, super right. And it's such a good reminder um, to all of us, even though, yeah, aging can be scary. It's definitely not the end. Absolutely right. And that confidence that you mentioned, it's just, you know it that they don't fake it. It really is there. It comes with mm -hmm. age, with experience, with having gone through lots of shit. It's natural. And yeah, exactly. It's so natural. They really exuded that confidence and that serenity of like not dealing with bullshit and just mm -hmm, mm -hmm. following their heart and their pleasure. Yes. I love that. And before we move on, I want to ask you, what would you recommend to your 19-year-old self mm -hmm. if you could talk to mm. her now? That's an interesting question. Um, I would say to her that she doesn't need to pretend to be perfect all the time and that she doesn't have to be ashamed of her darker side, of her... That's, yeah, to put it simply, I would tell her stop trying to constantly adapt to others for them to like you. You don't need that. You only need to like yourself. Others... Liking you is a plus, but the most important thing is for you to love yourself. And that is more than enough. And that's how you will find happiness. That's beautiful. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> Makes me feel good as well. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? What would you say to your 19-year-old self? Mm, I would tell him, 
to chill the fuck out and to really enjoy his beauty and charisma, uniqueness, nerve and talent and just <laughs> hoe around, fuck around, discover yes. whatever works for you, what kind of dynamics work for you, what kind of evaluate what kind of a monogamy works for you, get a chance to experience a lot of things and ah, don't deal with all that drama that isn't even yours, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Pick the drama carefully. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, don't waste so much time and don't think your 20s are going to last forever. (laughs) Just have fun. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) That's what I would say, I think. You would say free yourself, you little slut. Absolutely. (laughs) Set the slut free. (laughs) Well, the next essay is titled The Work of Parenting by Autumn Brown who is Adrian Murray Brown's sister and the co-host of How to Survive the End of the World podcast. I will read her bio to introduce her to our listeners. Autumn Brown is a mother, organizer, artist and facilitator, the youngest child of an interracial marriage rooted in the complex lineages of counterculturalism and the military-industrial complex. Autumn is a queer, mixed-race black woman who identifies closely with her African and European lineages and the gifted facilitator who grounds her work in healing from the trauma of oppression. So Autumn, at the beginning of the essay, says, quote, Pleasure in the work of parenting is abundant. It is hard to describe, best revealed through a series of scenes, end quote. And then she shares with us intimate scenes she experienced with her children. The essay really touched me deeply and I got what she meant with best revealed through a series of scenes because at the end of the essay I felt the kind of love and deep relationship she had with her children. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Indeed, that kind of series of scenes really displayed it really well, I felt. Yeah, absolutely. A really incredible connection. Yeah. And how about both sisters being incredible writers, by the way? Oh, yeah. Isn't that unbelievable? It I runs in the so family, much. obviously. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> in love with both mm-hmm, of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Same. And wow, she said some things that really touched me, even though I don't have a child now. Um, for example, she says, quote, that feeling of loving a child with your whole body being loved by that child with her whole body, and watching children learn to be loved and to express love with their whole bodies, and the pain of knowing your children will grow old and die, and sometimes be young and die, and most times be young and learn what it is to die, end quote. Yeah, just these two sentences Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is filled with so much beauty and insight. Oh yeah, it's very poetic and heartbreaking at the same time. Exactly. (laughs) It's so touching, not only because it makes me feel what it is to love a child that is yours like this, but also it makes me feel like, what an amazing parent. Oh yeah. So perceptive, so observant, Mm -hmm. so involved, thinking these things about the children she yeah, has. very sensitive. And I, I love that that's, that's her approach. Her vulnerability shows, but in such a loving and caring way. And it's impressive to, to witness that kind of connection, even through just, quote unquote, just through written words, right? I feel like it's also a privilege yeah. that she lets us in um, that very deep, uh, connection that she has with her children and 
the all the feelings that she goes through when thinking about them and all the things that that she can't help but imagine and think about and overthink about but i loved that i think it was a wonderful wonderful insight absolutely absolutely right yeah you know I know your parents, they're wonderful people. I love them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they they love you. They love me more, but they love you as well. I just really <laughs> love them. And <laughs> But I still want to ask you, just hypothetically, how would it feel to have a parent who is so intentional and aware about the love and relationship they have with you? So intentional, so observant and deeply present like Autumn Brown seems to be. Mm -hmm. um, because I don't think I had that and mm. I'm curious how do you feel about it and how did you feel reading this wonderful essay uh, from this frame looking from this frame mm -hmm. well I think I'm I'm very fortunate to have parents who always have been and are very intentional in their parenting and in the their love that they have for me as their child and we in our relationship we both parties have always been very intentional about that which is quite unique in a way i'm aware of that from witnessing different family models family rela relationships around me um so to me when i read this text it it felt like home to be quite honest it felt like home mm -hmm. because um i know that that feeling that the feeling that autumn was describing the emotions the memories the love that she shares and has for her children i've felt that and i feel that from my own parents which i know is an incredible thing to have in life and a really really high privilege so Yeah, it touched me for sure and it reminded me of my parents a lot and I always thought that motherhood was such a mysterious thing because it's not something that is necessarily part of somebody's life, right? You don't have to mm -hmm. have a, a mother instinct a mo or the desire to have motherhood in your life in any way. And mm -hmm. yet some people do, such as Autumn, such as my parents. And when it happens, it feels quite magical and mysterious. And I have a hard time understanding how, as humans, we're capable of creating such relationships and such deep, intense connections to another human being, whether or not they are your biological offsprings um yeah that also made me think about that a lot <laughs> this That's so kind beautiful. of mind fuck of how the hell do we do that as humans yeah that's so yeah true yeah that's where my my mind went <laughs> incredible wow i'm so happy to hear this that you had this kind of an experience with your parents Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not surprised. They are wonderful people. I love them both so much. They really <laughs> and, are. Uh, I'm so happy for you that you experienced such a parenting in your life. Thank That's you. really precious, super precious. It really is. It's extremely precious. And I think it's important to have this kind of 
intention in a parenting relationship, in a parent-child relationship, which doesn't take away from hurting each other or hating each other at some points in, mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. our lives and encountering conflict. But even through conflict, even through pain, even through quote-unquote hatred, even through tears and disappointments and all of the things that you can feel towards your parents or your child, this intention, I believe, is what makes the relationship last and what makes each party remember why they're here and why it's worth fighting for and what kind of commitment they've made without even... <laughs> without even knowing <laughs> absolutely because conflict is inevitable in a real relationship in a real sustained relationship yeah. conflict is going to happen but if parents could sustain this intention this awareness this presence with their children um, i guess that's all they need the children i mean right mm -hmm. um, that's wonderful that's wonderful <laughs> and you're actually a living example of how There's only so much good parenting can do. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the child can still end up like you. That's that's another mystery. Oh, yeah. The child um, can always end up like a literal Satan's spawn. <laughs> <laughs> Adopted from hell. <laughs> that's the title of your autobiography. <laughs> Oh my god, completely, I mean, related, but I saw this, I think it was a TikTok, and it was this mother who was asking her child, like, do you remember when you were born? And the child with, like, the, like, probably, like, three years old, no jokes, uh, mm -hmm. and this child says, no, but I remember when I crawled out of hell. <laughs> 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 like in this in most serious way and the mom is like what <laughs> and i was like is this my child <laughs> that's you you know the way you had a one-way ticket <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i loved how autumn was so present with her child she won when Shiwan was weeping for the death of her teacher's mother um, that moment that she described how she was stroking her hair and her face and Shiwan told her mommy I feel safe with you you know yeah and in Autumn's words I really saw a mother who has genuine pleasure of mothering her ch children mm -hmm. and who's very intentional about it and very present with it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and At times, my parents were also quite intentional and always loving as well. I myself had a difficult relationship with my mother, have a difficult relationship with her. Um, that, yeah, so much of it I would find difficult to share here. But I just can say that I loved the mothering I saw from this essay of Autumn. And I felt a kind of longing for that. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. in my dynamics, I have been the one who was this perceptive, this observant. I was the mirror for them all the time. Mm. They were just reflecting on me a lot. And in this text, I just saw how a mother can really truly become a mirror for their children to um, knowingly take that spot, take that place 
and let her children uh, or his children, her children, their children to really uh, see their own reflection on that parent. Yeah. And how crucial that is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, sucks to be me then. <laughs> <laughs> sucks to be you <laughs> yeah but I I'm wondering if you ever found um, in your life someone who brought you a similar intentional uh, aware kind of almost motherly relationship yeah sometimes I had that um, at times I had that with a friend I sometimes have it with my partner, but I must say sometimes with friends as well, but just really special friends mm -hmm. like you. I'm sorry to compliment on you now, but um, because... <laughs> oh, wow. It's going to rain tomorrow for sure. <laughs> um, because also most of my relationships were also uh, rep repetitions of my relationship with my mother. So I was again mothering a lot of people around, oh, mothering wow. around, of reflecting course. around, taking care around as if that's my duty. And fucking people were super comfortable with that. They were so shameless in exploiting that oh, yeah. that trauma uh, bond that I was having with them. This was happening until I grew out of it and healed through it, of course. So many, many years mm -hmm. I'm not developing that kind of relationships. But it's been tricky, girl. Yeah, I can imagine. Because also, it's my, it, you have this almost... You have this gift of being caring, right? But this gift was almost not fully but partly um, transmitted to you through the the traumas that you went through with uh, your relationship to your mother in the sense that you were the one having to I, I don't want to state something that big but <laughs> you know take take care of them mm -hmm, a lot mm -hmm and be be their mirror instead of them being your mirror and i wonder if that's do you think that where as someone who has lived through that what do you think helped you the most in breaking that habit breaking those relationships that were based on a trauma bond basically mm. yeah i feel like sometimes longing makes one an expert of what they're missing so i was missing a lot of reflection so i became a fucking mirror i was missing a lot of um, intentional care and perception so i became super perceptive and observant and mm -hmm. this mastery at first when i didn't have i didn't have control over this mastery i'm not trying to say that i'm a master of of these things but it's just that I was practicing it a lot and um, also unconsciously. So I think there came a point with growth and healing and also politicizing and also learning and experiencing different kind of relationships where there were healthy, healthier boundaries and such. I think there came another level of that mastery that, that was actually the true mastery at one point of me taking control of how much and when and with whom I will use those skills and for what purpose. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So then I decided to withdraw my mirror or my perceptions or observations and such when I felt that it was exploited 
or yeah. when it was just too much and such. So that kind of an antenna, that kind of a sensitivity was helpful. But it took many years to grow with that, really. Oh, I took can many imagine. dysfunctional relationships, many mm-hmm. dysfunctional friendships, I must say. Mm-hmm. And I, I still can't say I'm totally over that, you know? Who knows? Like, in a couple of years, I will be probably, hopefully, in a much better place with that dynamic. Oh, yeah. Which I love. It's hopeful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to... to to open I think it's great that you're able to talk about this so openly and thank you for sharing with all of us Um, because I'm sure this will be very useful to someone because even the first step of being aware of those behaviors and those habits and those anchored um, yeah those very anchored things in you that's also so incredibly important and just bringing this awareness to yourself i think is already very helpful exactly i really hope it helps some of our listeners because it can be really eye-opening to hear someone say like yeah hell no this is not gonna go on like this this is i'm not gonna do this anymore you know oh yeah this is what i've been doing and i'm not gonna do that anymore hearing that even can change a lot right agreed yeah wow (laughs) (laughs) nice um I'm done with what I wanted to share with this chapter. But if you have something else, we can... No, uh, I'm also done. We can move on. All right, then let's move on. I just absolutely love this one, the next one. It's titled Raising Sexually Liberated Kids by Janine Donovese. Her relationship with her child began with wonderful massages, cherishing his little being so deeply and showing him that hand and foot and scalp massages are soothing. So they built this intimate relationship with safe touch. Then when her child began masturbating, he called it a massage as well, just automatically. So then Janine explained to him that he should seek privacy for that and ask her questions if he has any. And they had sex talks at ages 4, 8, 12 and around 15. Very precise, frank, age-appropriate sex talks dictated by the child himself. So imagine, some kids are so fucking lucky, oh, yeah. Lucy. I love that. <laughs> this is an episode of like showing me how my childhood <laughs> sucked so much. <laughs> Talk about intentional parenting right here. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. That's what I loved so much, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like how did you engage with this text oral? Because were you as impressed as I was by how wonderfully intentional and such great guides some parents can be? Oh, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. And I mean, Janine, I just loved, loved her take on how she worked so hard on instilling also a, a healthy relationship to both sex and their body into her child from such a young age the no taboo freeing respectful and incredibly supportive and loving form of parenting that she practices is i believe really really important and feels quote-unquote right because it focuses on helping guiding a child and engaging in a healthy balanced self-growth basically i think her approach to topics such as body image self-esteem sexuality and sensual exploration is pretty fucking wonderful i was incredibly impressed and i also one of the things that actually impressed me the most um as someone who has dealt with people commenting on my body as a child 
I loved how Janine made a point to always correct people, particularly adults, who would comment on her child's body or to at least talk to her son after the fact to point out how these people's comments were just inappropriate and how they were just being assholes, basically. Mm-hmm. I think that is so fucking badass and so fucking important yeah. and so fucking impactful for this child's life mm-hmm. and this child's relationship to their body. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you're a parent, honestly, or if you raise a child in one way or another, it's it's so incredibly yeah, I can't important is not even powerful enough for me to say. Yes. Exactly. T- to not allow harmful comments and behaviors regarding a child's body, especially when those comments and behaviors come from adults, is just mm. out of this world important. Seriously, seriously. Because as a child, we we tend to consider adults as entities more than um, equals, right? It's it's we tend mm-hmm. to think mm-hmm. they're they know more or they are more right or they know best, you know. So there's a big chance that a child would take these kind of com- comments and behaviors to heart and a harmful, toxic, hurtful message could be registered in their mind and in their body in the process. And that's something that you don't want to happen. Which can be a forever damage as well, honestly. Exactly. Oh yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Absolutely. And how Janine really took this approach from her own experience of having had a lot of judgment directed at her body, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and how she transformed that to to treat her child better and ha- ha- not to allow other um, assholes treat her child in a wrong way. Just like you said, we think adults are absolutely right with everything. And we really internalize that as a child. Yeah. Right. It's just engraved in our mind, the perceptions of our parents and the adults around us. And if a caretaker doesn't tell us like, yeah, these people are just assholes, they were wrong, there's nothing wrong with you, (laughs) then we're totally vulnerable. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're just going to believe them. There's nothing to save us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. And Janine is so right. Adults really say ridiculous things to children as if they're not embodied actual people. Oh, yeah. So much of bullying and body shaming I got as a child was from fucking adults around me. Mm-hmm. Same. <laughs> Seriously. Same. How, how come? <laughs> I wish someone had protected me from that negative input before that silence made it normalized in my psyche. You oh, know? yeah. Ugh. Oh, the yeah. traumas we could have avoided. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow, it would be a different life. Oh, it would. I can confidently say that. The other side of the coin is also Janine really complimenting anytime she observes a healthy engagement of her child with his own body. That was also wonderful. What else can you wish for, right? For a parent to really compliment on your healthy relationship, healthy engagement with your body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To remind you of that, to point it out to you. Oh, that is goals. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes, I mean, absolutely. talk about good parenting. It's it was really impressive to me. Uh, everything that Janine shared with us, and I really appreciate that. I think it's great that this chapter in this text is in there because it can be really useful, even for people who don't necessarily want to be parents or have kids, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. to remind these people, all people who are around children 
that actually commenting on the on the child's body is wrong and that complimenting a child on their healthy relationship with their body is the way to to go mm, and to do it absolutely so true and actually new generation parents are more capable of giving the child what they need right in that sense because there's a bigger awareness now mm -hmm. about all of this about affirmations about protecting the child from um, harmful comments and such or harmful touch unwanted touch and such right there's a much bigger awareness now yeah which yeah. is like okay it's great that it's there uh, it's just here now since maybe one two generations but from boomers on i'm like so literally for hundreds no thousands of years you've been raising fucked up children mm -hmm. <laughs> in such terrible <laughs> terrible ways Like, why did it take thousands of years before it came to this point uh -huh. where, like, I will be probably in my entire lineage if I have a child. I will. I, I'm confident that I will overperform <laughs> any of my ancestors <laughs> from my own lineage. <laughs> like, I am 100% confident in that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How come? Why? Why did it take so long? Well... <laughs> I mean, quite obviously, the human race has been incredibly slow at progressing in the right direction, <laughs> as mm. history has shown. <laughs> so I'm not surprised that the problem always was the way <laughs> that we've been raising one another. <laughs> Seriously. Exactly. <laughs> For thousands of years, I can't mm -hmm. anymore. Why do we even exist? I don't know. I, I, I don't know how we actually <laughs> existed until now. <laughs> Should, this shit should have been over long ago. Oh, yeah. Can't believe it. All right, then. Shall we actually merge this wonderful essay with the tips Zara Ala shared with us in the next one? Yes. The title is Tips for Raising Sexually Liberated Kids. And the backstory is Adrian Murray Brown was texting with a babysitting friend while working on this book, and he sent her this message. Finally got the kids quiet and lights out when the older one comes and says, it's so hot in the room and I need to masturbate. End quote. And how he asked for a fan to be able to masturbate more comfortably. And Brown was so impressed by this that she had to interview the parents slash parents who created this result. And it was Zara Alla. Lucy, if you had a book with you now, would you like to join me reading Alice tips one by one, like we did in middle school? Absolutely. All right, then I'll start. Mm -hmm. Being a parent who is in touch with one's own pleasure is vital to raising children toward pleasure, mind, body, spirit pleasure. Inquire about what makes them feel good, mind, body, spirit. Encourage what brings them pleasure. Talk about it, inquire about it, laugh about it. Have age-appropriate anatomy conversation on an ongoing basis. Normalize the conversation about pleasure. Have it with people who are a part of our tribe to demonstrate that everyone is talking about it, particularly sexual pleasure. Have conversations about age-appropriate ways to show love and care. Exclaim that we all deserve to feel good in our bodies and always check in about consent. Is anyone inappropriately touching their body, etc.? I also do not hide anything from them. I am affectionate in front of them. They know that I openly relate to and love many people. They meet my loves. I chat with them before I enter a relationship, etc. Thank you, Lucy. 
Nice. Of course, my pleasure. <laughs> Amazing tips, right? I will keep them in mind. Oh yeah, for sure. Many thanks to Zara Ala for this. Seriously. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I love it. I thought that those guidelines were genuinely vi valuable, but also really applicable and actionable. And mm -hmm. yeah, it, it felt safe. I believe all parents of all forms and should look into this beautiful insight and make it their own, adapt to your own child, adapt to your own life, lifestyle, to the kind of humanity you want them to grow and live a fulfilled life in. Pleasure also should needs absolutely right now to stop being a taboo. And I love that that was that's mm -hmm. one of the main focus of um, Zara's parenting. And um, yeah, pleasure should be one of the most important elements of parenting, I believe. Raising a, ch a child mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. sexual pleasure in mind, sexual exploration, sexual discovery in their own path can be so valuable and so beneficial. And yeah, approaching it, approaching it from a shameless and totally open and accepting supportive perspective from a young age should be the norm in my humble opinion. <laughs> and I agree fully with that. And the result is a child who is able to say, hey, I want to masturbate, but it's too hot in the room. You know, can you help me with mm -hmm. that? Oh, yeah. That level of no shame, you know? Exactly. No shame whatsoever. That level of liberation. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Same. <laughs> Okay, we now move on to a new subsection titled The Politics of Liberated Relationships. And the first text is titled Radical Gratitude Spell by Adrian Murray Brown. It's, quote, a spell to cast upon meeting a stranger, comrade or friend working for social and or environmental justice and liberation, end quote. So I must say, I felt the shivering sparkles of the spell in my body when I read mm -hmm. it. I loved reading it and I want to invite you again to read this together. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> All right. You can do the first stanza and I, I do the second. Yes, wonderful. You are a miracle walking. I greet you with wonder. In a world which seeks to own your joy and your imagination, you have chosen to be free every day as a practice. I can never know the struggles you went through to get here. But I know you have swum upstream and at times it has been lonely. I want you to know I honor the choices you made in solitude. And I honor the work you have done to belong. I honor your commitment to that which is larger than yourself and your journey. To love the particular container of life that is you. You, you are, are enough. enough. Your, your work, work is enough. enough. You, you are needed. needed. Your, your work, work is, is sacred. sacred. You are, you are here, here and, and I, am I am grateful. Beautiful. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> this poem to me has been a translation of a very niche feeling that I had towards many people I encountered in life mm -hmm. for, for whose work I was deeply grateful. Did you recognize the core of this poem as well? Do you recognize relationships in which you felt this way to the other person? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And... I'm looking forward to sharing this poem with a few of them. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's so wonderful. And I mean, it's not surprising to me that Adrienne Marie Brown would write such a beautiful piece, such a beautiful spell, such a beautiful poem with such intention and affection and care towards um, people who, you know, who don't get 
even half of the gratitude they deserve. And I think it's so important for for us all to to read this poem and be reminded of sharing our gratitude towards them and maybe also reading it to ourselves if you're someone who who does that work that's also really nice i think <laughs> yeah that's very true yeah <laughs> such a good thing to hear right this poem oh yeah beautiful it heartwarming very validating Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, the next one is titled Liberated Relationships Expanded by Adrienne Marie Brown. Here, Brown shares the principles she offered in her book Emergent Strategy for Liberated Relationships, be it romantic, platonic, political, familial, or some combination of these. And, of course, it begins with radical honesty. So, no omissions, no white lies, no projections. Ask the questions you really want answered, speak your truth, and let the relationship build inside all of that reality. So Brown's examples are, for example, no, I don't want to get on the phone right now. Can we just text, for example? And the footnote says, or sext. I must admit, sexting is a favorite multitask while watching anime or reality TV, end quote. <laughs> and honestly, the same. Sexting is a favorite multitask for me as well. I always loved sprinkling text sexting to daily mundane stuff. Oh, yeah. Is that the same for you as well? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's so entertaining. It makes mundane tasks so much more interesting. <laughs> yes. Give some extra energy. Mm-hmm. Mm, I love it. Fold that laundry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the second principle is acknowledge the dynamics, then keep growing from that. So this means having an understanding on the front end of the race, class, gender, ability, geographic and other power dynamics that exist between us. Being able to be in this complexity together. Mm-hmm. That's so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of a very dear memory I had with a friend at school in Rietveld that when we met each other and when we really liked each other and wanted to be friends together, we much later found out that we both Googled like how to be attentive and careful towards each other's culture Oh wow! to inform ourselves better so that we don't say something offensive or racist or you know that we just don't hurt hurt each other without meaning to so we both um kind of researched each other's culture and sensitivities and such that's so wonderful and we found about this much later on yeah yeah i loved that that's such a dear memory oh that is so (laughs) precious and oh it just gives me like butterfly chills Yes, exactly, exactly. So yeah, being in this complexity together. Mm -hmm. So willing to be together and willing to be in this complexity together, right? It's so important. It really is. For a sustainable, lasting relationship with love and care. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The third principle is relinquish Frankenstein. So take people with their own full lives behind and ahead of them instead of fixing them or trying to create an idealized individual out of them. This happens a lot, right? It really does. <laughs> yeah, and I, I honestly, I have to be honest, I, I can't even put myself out of this dynamic as well. Sometimes I also expect diff- like a different behavior from a person, not necessarily wanting them to change, 
from the, the roots of their personality of their life but sometimes yeah i also have uh attempts of like creating this idealized version of them in my head it happens i don't mean mm-hmm. to but it happens it's quite a quite a common thing it right? is but i think that's um i i separate what you're talking about from what was written here i think for me what i understand from that section is more about actively trying to change others and fix them instead of mm-hmm. um expectations that you can have towards people i don't think that's necessarily um something that we can fight against as humans having expectations of others and whether on the contrary we can fight against trying so hard to make and fix other people you know what i mean yeah yeah exactly exactly maybe having expectations really doesn't have to lead to an effort of changing someone yeah Mm -hmm. yeah exactly Mm -hmm. i don't think it's necessarily uh harmful to have expectations if uh if these expectations are of course uh not completely uh, i don't know violent or mm-hmm. whatever it might be or even shared in an aggressive or mm-hmm. um forceful way yeah exactly and if it's still yeah. within the frame of the the agreed dynamics of that relationship um, mm-hmm. yeah that is consented and such you know mm-hmm. yeah mm mm-hmm. And she also added more principles for this book that are pleasure-specific. And first one of them is to create your own normal. There are so many ways to love, desire, and please, and be pleased, as there are bodies, minds, and imaginations. So what's your pleasure, your go-to moves, and positions? It's like a very basic but foundational uh, principle indeed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. But in uh, an important one, mm-hmm. nonetheless, I think, because maybe sometimes it's something that can slip through our minds. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And can be extremely useful, definitely. Yeah. And the second one is line up your longings, learn how to name them and assess if your longings are aligned with a potential lover, partner, friend or group. And instead of playing the game of hunting and then compromising hard to sustain the relationship, you just have to create this solid foundation of aligned longings. Um, And this is quite essential. Yeah, and that's true. This also goes back to expectations, right? Like being an honest discussion of longings and how they align and if we can fulfill it for each other. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that... um that we are not necessarily taught to do, I feel, or not mm-hmm. in such a direct way. So I really love the way that uh, Adrian Marie Brown listed uh, in such a detailed and well-spoken and clear way uh, these guidelines. And yeah, aligning your your longings with your partner of any kind, I, I'm... I, from friends to lover to romantic partner or even work partners it's it's something that i think personally i need to work on more i need to apply it more into my life because mm-hmm. that's something that i lack in um in some of my relationships and it's strange because i think when i when i read this uh, particular section 
I reflected a little bit and I realized that it's probably because there was somewhere in my education maybe or in my childhood what I witnessed at school I'm not sure to be quite honest I mm -hmm. registered that you have to you don't have to actually be in sync with one another you there's always one person who's gonna have to to sync themselves does that make sense that mm, there's gonna yeah. be a power mm -hmm. dynamic no matter what and yeah. that's mm -hmm. actually not true i've come to realize yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. i get what you mean 100 that's true you don't have to always um give up a portion of your longings just so that you can sustain a relationship it doesn't have to be that way mm -hmm. but that's that thought is so deeply anchored right yeah sadly enough <laughs> yes as if we have to compromise constantly all the time yeah which mm -hmm. i mean compromising can be really great of course but i believe there are certain situations where compromising can also make you lose a part of yourself and that's just not mm -hmm. worth it yeah and the third one is change and be changed use the opportunity to be seen to be known and let it be a vessel for transformation that this isn't about fixing each other but shifting into the idea that change is constant and change if you want to for yourself not to keep someone or stay in a place for or organization change because it is your path not to contort into spaces you mm -hmm, have outgrown. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, This is mm -hmm. so valuable for me as yeah. well. Oh my God. <gasps> so valuable. Yeah, this one is, it, <laughs> it hits me right in <laughs> the chest. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Wow, this is a really important It one. really is. Oh my goodness. I, I think... I mean, this is kind of, it is a, a bit related, not really, but I'm going to say it anyway mm -hmm, <laughs> at this mm -hmm. point. <laughs> <laughs> but I really think this particular chapter would be super useful to my little sister. And and she she's quite young. I mean, she is uh, just 18 years old. Yeah. But I don't know why, but when you read that, when I heard that again, I just had this flash of my sister really needs to read this and this is going to wow. be so useful for her life. <laughs> mm -hmm. Would she be open to, to for your recommendation to read this? I hope so. I mean, I know that at this point in her life, she's not really a reader, mm -hmm. but even if it's just this particular chapter, I would be more than happy to, to share it with her and maybe even go over it with her. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I just think it would be so beneficial to her life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can give it a go, maybe. Or you can just, like, yeah. tie her down and just read it to her. <laughs> Force her to listen to me read this chapter. Yes, exactly. In the most preachy voice ever. Absolutely. Amazing. The fourth one is, stay curious about each other's longings, desires. And Brown says, quote, When you hear something that may be new, surprising, even a bit scary... See if you can center curiosity, end quote. Yeah, that's that's a, that's such a good advice. Oh, yeah. Like when something new is a bit scary, see if you can center curiosity instead, instead of the fear. Mm -hmm. Have you been able 
Um, yeah. No, no, I haven't. <laughs> um, no, not this intentional, intentionally at mm-hmm. all. Um, that's why this advice is so useful, I think, for me, because I never really thought like, hmm, you know, this is scary. Can I just instead of approach it from a lens of curiosity, like, hmm, what what's gonna happen? Let's see. Maybe it's gonna be this way. Maybe that mm-hmm. way. You know, um, approaching it a bit more playfully, because curiosity to me always relates to playfulness somehow. That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah, that's why I want to do it for sure. I haven't really been able to. What about you? Yeah, I, I'm the same way. I, I agree with you. I find it's a bit tricky to to switch from being scared to being curious, but that's a good practice to have. I am trying to think if if I ever did that, but I don't think... I mean, <laughs> but that's such a small thing. <laughs> it's going it? to sound ridiculous, <laughs> but I'm... I mean, you know me right now, my, my main... Um, genre of film is horror yes (laughs) so related to that i am always always terrified even before i start watching a a horror movie and always i it's a it's a feeling that i can't even explain i don't know why i have this (laughs) love uh for it because it really terrifies me but however I then kind of force myself to be like, okay, like this is, I, I want to see what's going to happen. I want to see how scared uh-huh. I'm going to be. And yeah. I'm curious of my own reaction and how I'm going to feel watching it. So it's a little bit related, but in a very <laughs> not no, deep that's way. True. I, recognize, <laughs> I recognize that feeling for myself as well. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, that kind of curiosity is, yeah, I can also get that as well with fear. Yeah. That's a really interesting um point that they intersect kind of yeah <laughs> yeah it's a very surface level <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 but i really recognize that that's really nice. yeah that's maybe we can practice with m- more small stuff like that at first <laughs> yeah <ugh>. sometimes <laughs> i don't want to <laughs> i don't wanna <laughs> Okay, Adrian. Fine. I will try to center it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, the fifth one is set generative boundaries in mutual abundance, risen from needs. And I loved the two boundary setting statements Brown shared here. And they are, quote, It sounds like you might need some professional support. I love slash like our connection slash fuckship slash friendship slash co-workership slash romance and don't want to slip into an inappropriate role of a healer or coach here how can i help you connect to support end quote and the other quote is this is my work your work and our work i am down for us to do our work and i will hold down my work but i cannot take on your work i deeply support you figuring out what you need to do around that end quote I loved that. I loved, I loved it too. these two examples. I loved it so too. So applicable to so many things. Oh yeah. It's super useful because I feel like mm-hmm. often we might think that we can't find the right words to offer that kind of help and kind of step mm-hmm. away from a certain role that wouldn't be appropriate to be ours. Um mm-hmm. And it's great to have concrete examples of how we can formulate um, those boundaries, you know. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And still 
in a clear and caring way. That feels yeah, good. Yeah, with love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's really beautiful. And with these requests for boundaries, we, yeah, the expectation is that the partner will respond honestly and, um, yeah, forming an agreement or inviting a negotiation with us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which sounds so healthy and so beautiful. It sounds like such really great does. communication and intimacy and, yeah, beautiful. I really just yeah. feel like liberated relationships feels like the foundation of everything to me. In, oh, it is. Yeah. In that sense, also, I found the principles Brown offers here very valuable. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh. The foundation of everything. Unbelievably valuable. I completely agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it felt also... Um, yeah, it al- almost felt like a hug at the same time to me when I was reading all of, all of those principles. It felt like... You've got this. This is how you can mm-hmm. do it. This is how you can feel liberated in your relationships, but also in yourself and how you can place yourself in your life in a way that feels completely safe and comfortable to you. That yeah. really felt really good to to read. Great reminders, great applicable things, um, mm-hmm. sentences that you can actually um, formulate in conversations and yeah many things that are so so incredibly valuable mm-hmm. yeah i really felt that as well lucy i really felt it mm-hmm. um it's, it feels like yeah it's a it's a cruel difficult world and then there's adrian murray brown that um yeah softens the edge with her writing and her observations oh, yeah. and her advice and principles that she shares and inviting us to do our own work but with her guidance and mm-hmm. yeah just makes life more livable for me. Love her. Yeah, same. We love yeah. you, Adrienne Marie Brown. We love you so much. <laughs> we really do. Yeah. Thank you for listening so far. We will take a short break and we'll be with you in a second. Shall we move on to the next essay then? Absolutely, let's do it. Perfect. It's by Adrian Murray Brown and titled On Non-Monogamy. So yeah, non-monogamy and Brown's thoughts and guidance on it is very interesting to me, especially because I've so far only been in monogamous relationships and never experienced the principled and defined non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how it, how it has been for you, Lucy, with monogamy and non-monogamy. Yeah, that's a good question. Um... Non-monogamy has always been a very fascinating relationship model to me. There was a time when I definitely did not understand it because I was raised to believe Mm -hmm. in monogamy to be the quote-unquote purest form of love, Mm -hmm. ew. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) However, yeah, however, it didn't take me very long, to be honest, to for me to to make sense of non-monogamy and to realize that actually it was probably closer to my true alignment than monogamy mm-hmm. was. Um, it still is something that I am figuring out for myself, to be completely honest, at the very moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not at the point where I can officially and confidently declare myself as fully non-monogamous. Mm-hmm. And that's partly because of a topic which Brown mentions in this chapter. Yeah which is jealousy. Um, For Brown, jealousy is almost 
non-existent in her system, which I found quite impressive yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> when she talked about how jealousy is not something that she feels very often, yes. very rarely, actually. And I thought, wow, this is, that's fucking cool. And that's really wonderful. And wow, why am I not like that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, what is wrong with me? Yeah, right. Are you, are you a jealous person? Lucy, don't expose me like this. <laughs> Let's say I'm not perfect. <laughs> I can handle certain things, but I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. <laughs> yeah, I'm not perfect either. Obviously, that's why we're friends. Uh -huh. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> But seriously, I literally don't know what it's like to to not have jealousy, to not feel <laughs> jealousy, like Brown describes. What the fuck um, is wrong with us? I don't fucking <laughs> don't ask. You don't want the answer. I don't know. You don't want the answer, do you? <laughs> oh yeah, no, I don't want it now. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I do get jealous at times, and maybe even pretty territorial yeah <laughs> yeah nuts i wouldn't say that it goes to the point of letting these feelings of jealousy hurt my relationships or affect my everyday life in any way but i can honestly admit that i do get uh jealous and insecure sometimes yeah. particularly um with my current partner for example mm -hmm. um because you know, you know my my partner. He's objectively very handsome and extremely charming, yes, of course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> which of course draws a lot of flirtatious attention. And my first knee jerk reaction would be to feel jealous and territorial. Let's call it murderous, <laughs> Lucy. You're quite honest. Just go all the way. <laughs> yes, fine, murderous, <laughs> <laughs> serial killer, murderous level. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> But the the weird thing is, and we've talked about this before together, um, I did not always feel this way with other partners, which is odd, I think. Mm, I didn't yeah. really care that much in the past about whether or not the person I was hooking up with or dating was seeing other people um, at the same time. Um, maybe because these relationships weren't... Um, I don't like to use that word, but quote-unquote serious, or mm, because yeah. maybe because it was a common understanding already that our relationship wasn't meant to be based on monogamy to begin with. Um, I also had my fair share of fun, you know, in those relationships, mm -hmm. just uh, hoeing around. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, yeah, my, f my point, I guess, is that I'm full of paradox <laughs> yeah and i'm not quite sure how to yeah how to explain it but the fact that brown herself says that jealousy is not incompatible with non-monogamy in itself mm -hmm. was really reassuring to me <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah what did you think about this uh this point that oh. uh, jealousy and non-monogamy can be compatible because it's it doesn't really necessarily connect right when you think of non-monogamy and jealousy mm -hmm. yes absolutely 
you know, let's just embrace how paradoxical we are about this. Paradoxal? <laughs> paradoxal, sorry, uh, about all of this. Because, yeah, we, I mean, I also was raised in by monogamous parents and everything in my surroundings was about that and that mode of loving, that mode of sharing uh, a loveship, a relationship and such. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, my first encounter with non-monogamy being discussed was also with the book The Ethical Slut that Adrian Mary Brown also mentioned here in this essay. It's been such a long time since I read it that I don't remember that much of it. Have you read The Ethical Slut, by the way? No, I have not. Mm, yeah, I don't remember much about it. Uh, but I, yeah, it was the first time I really read about non-monogamy in a principled and intentional yeah. way. Yeah. I heard a lot about it. Yeah. And I must say, even though I also often crashed on multiple people at a time, I was so indoctrinated to uh, the monogamous modes of relationships that that's what I have practiced all mm. my life. Except for the times that I was single, you know. I often found myself in quote-unquote serious monogamous relationships without really even questioning if that is something for me. Mm, mm -hmm. But a, a big part of it was also, of course, what you just very honestly mentioned, the, the territorial feelings, the jealousy, mm -hmm. wanting to own that wonderful person just for yourself, you know? I will enjoy this person. I will enjoy their company the most. I will enjoy their buddies. I will enjoy their mind, enjoy the good times with them, you know? And not these yeah. other bitches, you know? And then <laughs> that makes Move you over, feel sluts. like, yeah, exactly, absolutely, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I'm the only slut in this person's life. Let yes, me be clear. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, you know, let me be as honest as you were. I had, like, jealousy crisis moments. Like, I couldn't sleep because of how jealous <gasps> I was. Oh, baby. <laughs> yeah, I was in pain. I was in literal pain. I couldn't sleep. And, and when I fell asleep, I would be having nightmares about it. <laughs> <gasps> oh, no. This yeah, is horrible. Yeah, I know. Well, but this is what I mean. Like, let's just embrace this because we're not the only... Uh, like, we're not so... It's not us who's solely responsible of this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the entire structure, entire indo indoctrination of how we are thought to build relationships. Friendships, exactly. loveships, relationships, everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So difficult. But thankfully, we have like people like Adrienne Marie Brown, who after going through a lot of mess herself, uh, brought back <laughs> her lessons and shared it with us. Yeah. Like in this essay. It's just wonderful. Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> it was also really interesting to hear that general hoeing around didn't work for Brown because she found it too messy and that she's also immensely picky. Yes. But also neither did uh, traditional monogamy work for her, which she yeah. tried for about seven years. So she had to create her own mode of uh, building a relationship, an intimate, romantic or sexual relationship. And I'm curious, where do you see yourself in this, Lucy? Like general hoeing around, did it work for you? Does it still work for you? Would it work for you? You know, <laughs> just all of them. 
Um, <laughs> that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> uh, I would say that nowadays general hoeing around like wouldn't work anymore because let I, I'm gonna be really brutally honest. I was not picky at all when I was younger. <laughs> Stop this shit. I settled for much less <laughs> than what I deserved. Let me just say that. Oh, the mm-hmm. mistakes. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. kind of general hoeing around would not work for me anymore because not that I <laughs> that I can't settle for less anymore. Mm-hmm. I am way too uh, traumatized to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, however, I do like how exactly how Brown uh, said that general whoring around didn't work because she's she's much much too picky. I like that. Yes, <laughs> I want to be picky too. So I would say that I would go for a picky, more thought out hoeing around. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yes. Version 2.0, a different exactly. one, next level. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. But what about you? Because actually this particular <laughs> sentence made me think of you. Wonder why. <laughs> so I'm curious. <laughs> I mean, you know, general hoeing around sometimes did work for me. It, it worked wonderfully, honestly, at, at mm-hmm. certain parts in my life. Um, and although I recognize the mess Brown mentions, and sometimes that mess was fun until someone involved got hurt you know mm-hmm. <laughs> that mess mm-hmm. can be fun but also can be so painful for yeah someone who's involved that can also be me of course and yeah. but like brown i also felt that as i gained confidence to be my whole sexy self i also became more discerning about who can gather my attention so that also yeah. had its impact on my hoeing around as well you know mm-hmm. um it impacted my pickiness as well and it it just automatically affected like who can actually capture my attention as well so that also grew with me too um and outside of that as i told you i've always been in monogamous relationships and enjoyed its wonders greatly as well and of course honestly at times um, it was challenging and increasingly difficult And then I tried hard to stay with it, you know, which is something I need to be more mindful about, actually, in my life. Like the changing terms that Mm -hmm. my deep being demands from me, you know, like this, this needs to be updated, you know, how I can communicate and reshape a relationship with someone that I love and don't want to lose. But sometimes it's so difficult to imagine relationships of the outside of the typical monogamy. Oh, of course. I found it so difficult to imagine sometimes because of the reasons that we just shared also. Yeah, exactly. And that's also uh, almost all that you've known, right? So it's really difficult yeah. to get out of that um, that path, that uh, pattern, I would say. But do you think that non-monogamy is something that you would be open to in the future? Or is that something that mm. scares you or that intrigues you? Mm-hmm. all of that it scares me it, it does intrigue me mm-hmm. there was one definition from brown 
uh, for non-monogamy and that sounded good for me as well that sounded doable and that was quote being in love with people who encourage my crushes being in relationships that are transparent about desiring other people and being respected for desiring multiple genders end quote mm-hmm. and you know that that sounded like something i could potentially be in in the future um yeah and also uh, she also said that some people she knows are able to navigate with jealousy in open relationships by by naming it and being gentle with it without shaming the jealousy yeah and that also sounds great to me like if i could just achieve these two things oh, i yeah. think that could be a mode of non-monogamy that could really start working for me let's say yeah um yeah How about think... you? How do you feel about it? Do you feel any hope for a non-monogamous, healthier <laughs> future for yourself? <laughs> I mean, why not? Honestly, I'm open to it, but I'm still just like you, um, struggling with uh, with certain aspects of it, including like the the the, the issues we just mentioned. I'm not gonna repeat myself again. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but I'm definitely open to it and. One of the the things, one particular sentence in this text really reinforced um, my feelings of. Uh, I don't I don't know if it if alignment is the right word, but it's the first one that came to mind. So it's probably mm-hmm. the right one, and I'm not gonna shut it down. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that reinforced this feeling of alignment, and I'm gonna read it right now. This particular sentence, mm-hmm. uh, it's on page four hundred twelve, and um, Brown said, "Quote: Non-monogamy is not about making people compete for your love and devotion. It's about abundance and not having to let go of people who help you grow." End quote. And I found that absolutely beautiful. And that's the kind of non-monogamy I would love to engage with um, yeah. as an extra to, you know, the regular hoeing around. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, that really sounds like the holy grail for me as well, to be able to create something like that, that kind of a dynamic. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And it's really reassuring to see how many different modes of non-monogamy that can exist it can look so different in so many other relationships we can oh, literally sure. build something unique that fits our needs with our loved ones oh, by yeah. making the trust bond our base you know and then mm-hmm. building on it yeah yeah i learned a lot by watching um watching sounds so creepy sorry witnessing <laughs> <laughs> witnessing other people navigating their non-monogamous relationships or their uh-huh. polyamorous relationships yeah um uh i have a couple of friends who who did that and i learned um a lot through them because mm-hmm. yeah. of course it looks it truly looks so different from person to person from relationship to relationship yes absolutely. it's unbelievable the difference because I think I have like yeah um, a couple of friends who are either non-monogamous or polyamorous and I there's literally no similarities in their relationships yeah it's wow so yeah it's mm-hmm. so drastically different but I love that I love the variety I love the diversity I love the op the very various options um that's 
is offered to to us on the beautiful plate of non-monogamy. <laughs> exactly. I love that too. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> you know, at the end of this chapter, there's a hot and heavy homework Brown gave I us. I know. <laughs> mm, I will read it for our listeners who would like to do that, who would like to practice that. So, at the top of a blank page, write down your ideal structure monogamy, open marriage, lovers, etc., for sexual connection, love, and relationship. So then create a map from the bottom of the page to that ideal, showing what skills, conversations, and practices are needed to get there. End quote. So this beautiful, very methodic, very Virgo, hot and heavy homework. <laughs> I loved it. I might do it at one point. What did you think of it? Do you feel oh. like you could use that? Oh, for sure. I mean, mm -hmm. honestly, I've been wanting to do this homework ever mm -hmm. since I read it. I was yeah. like, yep, done and done. I need to do this. <laughs> But I am I am such like, <laughs> I don't know why I have this thing where if I really want to do something, especially an exercise uh, like this one, I want to get the perfect notebook for it. And it's just yeah. an obsession. And it doesn't make sense, but I really want to get a notebook where I on, only that I only dedicate to Adrian Marie Brown homework. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So wow. I'm gonna do that as soon as I get it, and then maybe I'll share the results. <laughs> Please do. I love that. I love it. Wow! Yeah. It also gave me the idea of like having one notebook that is entirely dedicated to reaching my ideal structure of connection for sexual connection love yeah. or relationship mm -hmm. and um it just functions as like each obstacle one by one you know yeah 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 like, and then overcoming that and then a new one emerges and then i work on that and then step by step reaching there yeah and it is a fucking hot and heavy homework by the way only imagining it gives Holy me cramps shit in my stomach <laughs> oh. <laughs> are you sure it's not just gas <laughs> I wish bitch I wish <laughs> shall we move on to the last chapter of this episode yes. perfect it's titled being second by Adrian Murray Brown it starts with Nina Simone lyrics of the other woman so, Brown felt drawn to the lifestyle of the other woman because the relationships she witnessed were spaces of obligation and contortion and she longed for romantic and sexual connection to feel great in her body and being secondary allowed room to experience connections on her own terms. Um, I see what she means there, definitely. Like this, <laughs> it's already, it's like, it's like a less theorized less intellectualized version of what we just talked about with non-monogamy, right? Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. just this uh, immediate savior outside of this, yeah, this, this other kind of relationship that is based on obligation and contortion. I love that. Yeah, me too. I really do yeah. too. Is it, um, yeah. has it been um, for you, would you, did you already have um, 
before reading this chapter, before um, this particular analysis of being second, did you already have preconceived idea about what it meant to be uh, a, the other person, let's say? Mm -hmm. You know, honestly, uh, throughout my life, I always heard the other person mentioned with like insults and disgrace. Mm -hmm. And I always disagreed inside. Mm -hmm. I have never felt, um, yeah, I've never felt that. I, I, I didn't judge the other person that much, as much as other people around me did. And me, myself, haven't really had a problem with being the other whatever, oh, nice. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't really have that, I must say. Mm -hmm. I, I, I had mm -hmm. no problems with that. I think that's also because my queerness generated this internal disregard to heteropatriarchal modes of uh, monogamy <laughs> because it just fu wasn't fucking for me, you know, it just wasn't working for me. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so who cares? Of course, I love the other person. <laughs> of course, you know. <laughs> I guess that's why. Yeah, that's what I thought about it before. Yeah, okay, about that's you? interesting. So nice. Yeah, I also never really saw a problem with being the other person. Um, mm -hmm. I never really judged any of my friends when they were the when they ended up being the quote unquote mistress of somebody. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I never, I never saw a problem with that. I always thought, you know, why would I judge someone on their personal decisions to to engage with somebody that they like somebody that they love somebody that they want to have sex with mm -hmm. that's actually something that they're doing for themselves and i mean of course like it can cause pain to other people but i don't think i don't think it's something to to keep as a negative um how do you say it? to put ne negative judgment on nonetheless mm -hmm. Just yeah. because something causes emotional pain um, and that you're in indirectly uh, related to that pain doesn't mean that you're a bad person. That's yeah. that's my point, I think. I agree with you, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's always up for question if the other person is really responsible. I don't honestly, I don't think they are. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To be fully honest, I don't think they are responsible yeah. for for um, hurting the. How, I was gonna say the other person's feeling, but but then it's confusing. But I get you get what I you get exactly. what I mean. Yes. <laughs> to hurt the committed partner's mm -hmm. feeling. Yeah. If that's exactly. a better way to to form it, I think. Yeah. The the pain is between the two committed people exactly I and it feels like it's their responsibility to lay out the arrangement of relationship that they have among themselves exactly and it, it feels like it's just too much to ask from the other person to have this godly moral level of saying you know i will sacrifice this exciting connection that i could have had with you because there could be some pain going on in the committed realm of your life, you know? Yeah, It's too exactly. much to expect. Yeah, yeah and it's so much... Uh, it's, it, I don't know. It's also... I feel like when you're 
when you're the other person in a relationship, there's already that that extra pressure, right? From mm -hmm. from society, from the person you're having a relationship with, from the the this person's partner, the the idea that if you're discovered, you might get in trouble or hurt someone. That's so much pressure, right? Mm -hmm. So exactly. why adds to that? <laughs> yeah. That's very true. Yeah. But there's also a foundation Adrian Murray Brown offered here, and that is being able to be direct with a potential new lover about whether we're both actually available to have sex or to flirt. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that can be useful to share this crucial information with each other, you know, and like the arrangements open. and boundaries. Exactly. With their own partner, the committed partner, whether they have told their partner about you or have a plan of saying something about you. Or, yeah, sometimes this process can even lead you to the choice of helping them hold their own boundaries. But that's a choice. Yeah. That we yeah. As we just mentioned, not a responsibility. I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. that's a choice. Exactly. Yeah, I, I love the idea of uh, being able to, to be a, a quote-unquote secondary partner to someone um, in complete honesty, in complete clarity, in such a way that being second is a been is a valuable choice and decision that you're making for yourself too yeah. as uh brown mentions in in this chapter it's not about being second in a um in a hierarchy you know what i mean but yeah. being second is a really valuable position as she explains in those lines Exactly, and it has a lot of pleasures that it can bring as well. Mm -hmm. um, Brown enjoys being a second, and with a friend of hers, um, who also does enjoy it, they named the pleasurable sides to it um, in this essay. And Lucy, shall we do our last cheesy reading together one by one with this list? Ooh, yes. <laughs> okay, I'll go first, because I, I love this list. I think our audience, our listeners should uh, hear this. Second is not necessarily a numeric thing. It's just being a non-primary lover slash partner to someone who is transparent and open with a primary partner slash lover. Being a second only works with clear communication. Not perfect communication, but clear communication. Being a proper second requires being able to say, what's your relationship sta status? Is it open? And if it is, live your best life. If it's not, figure out the necessary boundaries. Being a second can be a phase of life. It's a great role to play between big relationships or as you're learning how you want to navigate open relationships. Or you might just be second to a particular person. I also enjoy being a primary and only or one of many. For some people, second can be an intimacy preference. I really enjoy being the other woman in a transparent scenario. I love doing my own work all week and having someone show up to romance and touch me and then go home. I love knowing my lovers have stability and support and home, that I am only responsible for my slash our pleasure. I love having abundant, non-stop sexy time for a few days and then not having to worry about anyone else's needs until the next visit. Being second is very different from what I grew up learning about mistresses slash affairs. The goal is not to steal your lover from their partner. 
You aren't diminutive or pining. You are satisfied. And in alignment, your lover's goal isn't to keep you a, sec a secret or to become first in your life, to displace your work or other lovers or other commitments. They're enjoying the miracle of pleasure from another body. Ideally, they're as grateful for your pre-existing commitments as you are for theirs. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you. After having read all of this, how do you feel about being someone's second now with this within this framework Brown just uh, offered to oh, us? Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, love right. it. I think it's a, it's a very refreshing perspective, right? Because when you think about being second, you might think it automatically, um, like in the song of Nina Simone, mm -hmm. um, that it's a bad thing, that it's being the mistress, that it's being uh, cheated on, etc., etc. But from uh, Adrienne Marie Brown's perspective and many others, I'm sure, um, being second can be something that is so incredibly aligned with your truth and what you need at the moment. And it can change and it can have different boundaries. It's it's not set in stone. It's it's beautiful, basically, yeah. in my eyes. And I love that. I, I think I would appreciate experiencing that some somewhere down the line in my life um, because I'm someone who's quite independent and the idea of having a relationship with someone who has a primary partner and um, for whom I can be an extra presence that can have a different focus and a relationship in which we can both bring each other very different things than what we're used to with our primary partners. Mm. I find that really attractive. I find that really exciting. So yeah, to keep it short, yeah. <laughs> yes, wow. the answer is yes. <laughs> oh, wow. I love it. Especially your last definition. I loved it. Yes, exactly. That sounds so exciting to me as well. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, I would also love it if I could work it out in the dynamics of my relationship and I would only do it with someone who has read Pleasure Activism and Politics of Feeling Good by Adrian Ray Brown. <laughs> that's, the, <laughs> that's, the, that's the homework that needs to be done for someone who wants to engage in a, yeah, the other person or a second kind of a relationship with me. Because, you know, oh, it's yeah. just... Agreed. Uh, I would be up for all of these principles. And I would do it well, by the way. But I think it's really <laughs> rare to encounter someone who is so liberated and so aware of all of these that we just talked about that often people are stepping into a situation like this in a sinister way, in, in a way that's like in a secretive way, uh, as if we're doing something wrong, but why does it feel so right then? You know, like it's like this guilty pleasure or something. It has to be, it has to be like secretive and such, um, because it's perceived again in the uh, modes of like mistresses and affairs and dishonesty mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. such. But if it could be with someone who would be able to experience it in this liberated way that Edgin Marie Brown proposed then that could work for me. If only, of course, if I could also make it work with my own relationship as well, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, f I feel like it would it would suit you so well, yeah. honestly. Mm -hmm. I really feel that. I feel like you could be, you could feel, as you said, so much more liberated. Um, and yeah, experiencing that 
would add I was gonna say it would add to to how aligned you would be with your astrological sign oh my god <laughs> so true that's so true I'm built for that I'm built for that with my yes, Gemini with my Virgo ascendant and with my moon in Taurus <laughs> I, am, mm-hmm. I am built for mm-hmm. that you're so right there you fucking go absolutely so if anyone out there has read pleasure activism <laughs> and is down, send in your application. Slide into my DMs, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I love this. I guess that's where we wrap our 11th episode, huh? Yes, it is. <laughs> it's such a wonderful note to end on. I agree. And the next one is literally the last episode of our first season. I know. We will have gone through the entire pleasure activism. It's so exciting, but it's also bittersweet, right? It is bittersweet and it is mind-blowing mm-hmm. to me still that uh, this last episode is coming up so fast. Yeah. But exciting, exciting, mm-hmm. exciting. Yeah. <laughs> no, how to say goodbye to Adrian Murray Brown on Soft Edges. I can't. <laughs> we have to discuss her <laughs> other works for sure in the future. Yes. Yes, definitely. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Lucy, for this beautiful conversation. It was so much fun. Thank you. Yes, I had the most fun as usual. Mm-hmm. Even though my brain was very slow today, I apologize <laughs> to my to our listeners for whatever nonsense yes. I said. I already forgot. <laughs> but <laughs> I had the most fun with you as usual. Same. And it was wonderful, wonderful topics we talked about. Yes, I agree 100%. I hope our listeners also enjoyed it. And thanks to all of our listeners, honestly, for being with us this week as well. Yes, thank you. We will meet you again next Sunday. So take care. Mm-hmm. Bye bye. <laughs> Love ya. See you next Sunday. Yes, bye. bye. <laughs> our graphic design is by the amazing Yuri Sato, and our music is by the wonderful 